As you well know, Toe dips its toes, so to speak, into philosophy, both publicly as well as I do so in my personal life. I encourage you to do the same with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Nearly 2,000 years after it was written, this guide to personal growth remains eminently relevant for anyone seeking to lead a meaningful life. Meditations isn't your average self-help book. In fact, it was the emperor's personal journal, and this makes it useful not only as a form of propositional knowledge, but to aid perspectival knowledge, something that John Verveke talks about as exigent, though missing in our culture. We sit in this improbable, even preposterous position of having the opportunity to peer into one of the deepest soul-searching, thoughtful, private questions, internal struggles that the once leader of the world thought about in his moments alone. Like, man, I would love to interview him if Marcus were a guest on tow. Maybe he would be a fan of the CTMU. Maybe he would be a Castrop sympathizer. I'll leave that up to you. Dive into the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius today with the book that Ryan Holiday said is the greatest book ever written. Meditations is available from Penguin Random House at prh.com slash meditations. These clips feature George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell, Richard Dolan, and Matt O'Dowd from PBS Spacetime. They're highlights from the over eight-hour live stream of Tonanza for those who aren't interested in two, four, five, six-hour, or even in this case, eight-hour-long podcasts. We'll try to release weekly highlights of roughly one hour in length or less exclusively to the audio channel here at the end of the week. Enjoy. So what's going on in 2023, Jeremy and George? What's going on? What's going on? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to George and I have some stuff coming out, uh, a lot of stuff we've covered that we're going to be able to reveal a lot more information on direct witness testimony. Just you're going to hear from people that, that you wouldn't expect you'd be able to hear from stuff George and I have talked about. But now you get to hear directly from those individuals. So I know in January that the UFO subject is going to blow up again because new information will be coming to light. It's uh, Great you know, this, this was an exciting year, the end of the year, the signing of the NDAA and, and what that means uh, moving forward. I mean, it's great. In a sense, it's sort of, uh, to coin the old cliche, it's sort of the uh, the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end, because we're we're finally, as a society, moving toward trying to figure out, are these real and are genuinely asking the question? And of course, Kurt, as you have learned, the answer is yes, they are real. And now maybe, you know, in the years to come, Arrow, NASA, uh, various scientific organizations that are now openly interested in the topic can can address the bigger questions, the, the really important ones. Where are they from? Why are they here? Who are they? What's their interest in us? You know, once we get beyond the obvious question that that our society has struggled with for 75 years, then we can start digging into the good stuff. And, and the tools are now in place to do that. Uh, Jeremy and I are aware of some of these whistleblowers who've been standing by, ready to, to chime in and tell Congress and others uh, what they know. And in fact, we know that some of them have already done so. Um, and when this comes out, it's assuming it comes out, man, it's going to be an explosion. So, Kurt, what, what George is talking about is what the, the whistleblower protections laws are, are being implemented for. We're talking about reverse engineering UFOs. We're talking about our government physically reverse engineering physical hardware that they suspect is from another world. So we're talking about programs that are actively reverse engineering, actively exploiting 
these non-terrestrial technologies. That's the claim. And, and he's also talking about the idea that people have already utilized some of these internal mechanisms to establish where the hardware is. So, so this is something we have knowledge of, and we're hoping that this gets out to the public because it is happening. This education is being given on the inside. Expand on that point where the hardware is. Expand on that. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not, not going to expand on that right this second, but this is something that's being told you know, within Congress, within the Senate Intelligence Committee, within whistleblowers coming forward, you know, under uh, IG investigations, they're looking into this. This is something that, that George and I know for sure is happening, the people involved, all the mechanics of it. And we, we hope it becomes public through the, through the right channels. But I'm just, it's important for people to know it's happening. This is not something theoretical. Yeah. It's happening. I'll tell you, Kurt, uh, my first foray into this idea, the preposterous idea that we've got craft and materials from some other world, some other intelligence, was 33 years ago with Bob Lazar. And I know a lot of your listeners will have problems with Lazar's story. I don't care anymore. Uh, I don't care. But at the time that I proposed it that and, and presented that information in a news series, it was ridiculous even among a lot of UFO folks. Not so ridiculous anymore because... What Jeremy and I have reported over the last couple of years is there were legacy UFO programs that have not been made public. There were efforts to take these materials, exotic materials of unknown origin, put them in the hands of aerospace companies, the big players, and try to figure out how they worked. And when Bob Lazar had that story a long time ago, uh, you know, people uh, tisk tisked and, and denied it and, and ridiculed it. Now, not so much, because some of these whistleblowers we're talking about or appearing before Congress now have already given statements are there to tell them about the legacy programs, that they are real, that there are these exotic materials, that reverse engineering programs have been underway. The big question remaining is, will the public get to know about this? And can those materials be retrieved? If you hand them over to, say, a Lockheed or a Northrop or a company like that, uh, is there a paper trail that says the ownership should be with the American public, that it has to be returned? And we don't know. These whistleblowers that we're talking about know where the bodies are buried, literally, and where the material is. I mean, down to the building. Um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, if Congress makes that information public, because we know that they've heard some of that testimony already. And they've verified some of that testimony we know. Great. Just so you know, there are a couple of people in the waiting room. I just want you all to know that I see you. Thank you. Please hang, hang on for a couple more moments, okay? So so can you tell me, Jeremy and, and George, well, whoever wants to chime in, what is the significance of this Whistleblowers Act? Specifically, for people who don't know what the legislation is, what is it? When does it come into effect? And why is it? Is it groundbreaking? Do we feel like, do you think that this is just, well, much like, hey, there's going to be a report coming out, then and the report is delayed, and then when it comes out, you're just disappointed. Is it going to be disappointing? Should we get our hopes up? And what are we getting our hopes up for? So several questions in there. Just tackle them. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I think we, we both have a, a different perspective on it, but I think that we're in agreement that it, it is a huge invitation. It's an invitation, and not only an invitation. I mean, they're telling you that you need to tell if there were illegal UFO programs being done. So this is kind of like a duty. So will people come forward? Let's pretend like what Harry Reid said, let's from Lockheed, 
will people come forward saying, I worked on reverse engineering of non-terrestrial technologies? Well, you have to be motivated to do so. But now they're, they're saying, you know, you need to come forward. So I think this is a this is a big deal. It's protections. This is on the, the lines of like the church committee or whatever they called it when they were discovering all these things the CIA was doing back, you know, on American citizens. This is that big. This is big enough that people have already come forward. Now, this is in the mechanisms of government that are going to keep it within the intelligence communities, but some people are going to come forward publicly, and we know this for sure. So I, I think this is a huge deal. We've never seen this kind of thing for the UFO topic, this type of acknowledgement. And I think someone like George, who's been seeing this for 35 years or however many years now, uh, this is unprecedented. So I'm an optimist. I'm super excited. I think you know we're kicking the doors down, but... I am the pessimist. I'm the glass is half empty. If there is uh -huh. a way to bury this, if there is a way to keep a secret, they'll find it. And we're already seeing some of that kind of pushback, Kurt. Uh, you saw this recent Wall Street Journal article. There was a New York Times pre-bunking piece that came out in advance of the report, which wasn't even written at the time, that said, oh, yeah, this is all explainable. That's exactly what I've expected for a long time, and I think we're going to see more of it. The closer con Congress and the public get to answers, the closer we get to actually seeing or learning about the goodies, the metamaterials, pieces of scrap metal of unknown origin, craft, maybe bodies, the harder the pushback is going to be. If I were Lockheed and I had this stuff, I wouldn't give it back to us. What you're seeing is a significant pushback already by the Department of Defense. At the same time, they're speaking out of this side of their mouth saying, oh, yeah, we're all about transparency. Behind the scenes, they're feeding this disinformation to people like that reporter at the New York Times who kind of try to dismiss it. I will bet you, Kurt, that you have had pushback yourself for the fact that you even dare to tackle this topic in a, in a very curious way. Uh, to, you would even dare ask the questions. I'm sure your colleagues have given you crap about it, and there's going to be a lot more of that the closer we get to the goodie. So if they can find a way to bury it and hide it, they'll continue to do that. You look at the U.S. Air Force. They got more information on the subject matter than anyone. And they're nowhere. They don't have a seat at the table. They're not showing up giving statements. They're not making press releases. They haven't shown up at any of the hearings. Where are they? Um, they're not going to give it up very easily. So I'll believe it when I see it. I'm hopeful in a sense, but I'll believe it when I see it. Yet people continuously and with increased frequency come forward to George and me and they provide information and data and footage and images. And, you know, we, I've been kicked around people saying, oh, you said, you know, you're going to release more. It's been so long. I'm on cosmic time. Oh, yeah, we're just starting. So starting in January of 2023, providing more okay, so information. A couple days, a couple of days from now. Yeah, well, that's right. I'll say in January, you know, sure, but sure, it's sure, like, sure. you know, we're, we're going to start, you know, providing information that we've thoroughly vetted. And, that's, and where that's should the they go? Where should the audience go to find this information out? Should, is there a website? Is there a Twitter? Is there just a YouTube? To, right now, just go to our social media, uh, mine and George's social media. There's going to be a location for that, you know, that'll be a you little might, bit better. But right now, just go to our social it? media. I can write it in the chat and pin it and also put it in the comments. Sure. So I'm at Jeremy Corbell and like George on Twitter is G underscore nap. And uh, got it. You know, I would also course. send a, I would send people to mysterywire.com. That is still an active website. It's yeah. a repository of all the stories that I've put together for 30 plus years, including interviews. You know, uh, yesterday marked the one year anniversary since the death of Harry Reid. Five years ago this month, 
he got things started by talking to the New York Times about what a program that at that time they called ATIP. Uh, there's still a lot of misinformation out there, uh, a lot of things that have been mur made murky, I think, on purpose. But all those interviews that we did with Harry Reid, with Lou Elizondo, uh, with other key players in this, is all still on mysterywire.com. I would add this. We did a story, if people are looking at big events of 2022, we did a story about a, a defense contractor named Radiance Technologies. They're located in Huntsville, Alabama. They put out news releases about the hiring of two people. One was a guy named Jay Stratton, who had been with the Office of Naval Intelligence and DIA. The other was Dr. Travis Taylor, whom we know as a UFO type scientist on the History Channel and Ancient Aliens and the Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. In their release, Radiance Technologies bragged about these two guys uh, for their UFO work. Uh, Jay Stratton had been the head of the UAP task force. He'd been part of ATIP and OSAP as well. And they, when they put out a release about his hiring, they bragged about it. I think that is a major step for private contractors, defense contractors, to go ahead and say, yeah, we're interested in this. In fact, not only are we interested in it, we'd like to get some contracts for it. Big step for industry to make that. And I, I just wanted to mention that's a pretty good story that I think probably has fallen through the cracks. Yeah. So, so a question that's come up several times on today's show is what story from 2022 ignites you the most? Now, which now I'm going to rephrase that for you all. Which story from 2022 regarding this topic is most relevant to something that you can't reveal now for whatever reason for later? So that if I want to put some pieces together, I can. Hear that sound? That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble, the more nicks, cuts, scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. Henson is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars rover. Now they're bringing that precision engineering to your shaving experience. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend less than the thickness of a human hair. 
The razor also has built-in channels that evacuates hair and cream, which make clogging virtually impossible. Henson Shaving wants to produce the best razors, not the best razor business. So that means no plastics, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. It's also extremely affordable. The Henson razor works with the standard dual edge blades that give you that old school shave with the benefits of this new school tech. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com everything. If you use that code, you'll get two years worth of blades for free. Just make sure to add them to the cart. Plus 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash everything and use the code everything. Yeah, I mean, I'd say say they're, they're, everything George and I have reported on, we've dug really deep and we've really vetted people. And, and now we're at a place where we can bring stuff forward. So I think the 2019 swarms over... USS Omaha, USS Russell, actually 10 Navy warships. We initially reported on that, like what our government said, we obtained and released information that was confined within classified files originally, but we were able to get out the unclassified parts. And that story is going to open up. There's been a lot of attempts at debunking it, talking about how there's red, green, and white lights. Well, you haven't heard nothing yet. So I think this is great. I think that that story is so important, the one that we broke. And and I think the 2019 swarms, it's just one of many, by the way, that that we've looked into, but it's one we could provide corroborative video evidence on. I think overall, that story is a great place to start. We're going to learn a lot more about that. And I'd even say the Bob Lazar story, everything Bob said to George in 1989, we are looking at it through a different lens now. And I think there's, there's more to tell on that story. So, yeah. I would I would say something more that's coming is about OSAP. You'll recall, Kurt, the congressional hearing, first public hearing before Congress on the UFO UAP topic in 54 years, and the Defense Department was asked, are there any programs that existed in between Blue Book and ATIP? And they said, nope, sorry, no, nothing. Well, that is absolutely not true. And a, a year ago, we put out a, a book called uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, that had details about the OSAP program. It was a predecessor to ATIP. It's the one that got $22 million that went to Robert Bigelow's Bass organization. They created the largest UFO database in the history of the world, more than 200,000 cases. Public hasn't seen it. Congress hasn't seen it. But I can tell you that in the year since that book came out, there's a lot more information that's come our way, interviews with key players that we're going to be making public in 2023. And I think uh, I think it'll blow it wide open. I hope. Uh, agreed. Yeah. And I think also, Kurt, so people right now is kind of neat because we're, I'm just kind of celebrating the fact that we have a few movies out and they've done well. And I'm trying to kind of get people to all catch up and watch them. So uh, on Extraordinary Beliefs for free, you can watch all three of my uh, initial movies. So all three of these are now free and go check them out. Uh, this is a good time to get caught up for what you're going to be learning starting January. So I know, Jeremy and George, that you got to get going soon. If you want, you can hang out. You're more than welcome to get some popcorn, answer questions. But if you have to get going now, then I'm just going to introduce the next guests. Do you have to get we going do. now? Or do you want to stay? I got to go. Okay. I have to go. But hi, hi, guests. How you doing? I'll be listening. Yeah, we'll be Jeremy, listening. George. You guys have a great 
have a great New Year's, everybody, and I'm real excited for for the next year. Keep I, your eyes I, open. I'm, I'm extremely grateful to for you all taking some time out on the on this day, Lillian, Greg, Jesse, George, and and Jeremy. So so thank you all for coming out, and Jeremy and George. We will have a conversation when whenever you'd like to come back on tow. You're obviously both welcome, and we can have a much okay. longer conversation. This is rushed keep, keep like mad. Keep up the great work, Kurt, and I'll be listening. Thank, thank you, man. That's, that's, right. that's, that's incredibly kind. Thank Bye, you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. So, Rich, what are you looking forward to in 2023? <laughs> I'm building a little bunker, digging a deep hole. I'm just going to hide as deep and as far as I can. But when I'm not doing that, I'll still be looking at the UFO subject. I'll still be looking at the dissolution of global geopolitics and uh, the world around us and seeing how long we can hang on before things get really crazy. If you think they're crazy now, I think it's going to be, be a lot more, a lot more ahead in 2023. I don't think there's going to be a respite from the insanity. And I wanted to tell the audience where they can find more out about you or what you have going on next. And I was supposed to take that link. I don't know if I did. Uh, it's it's so, fine. Don't please. worry about it. I have a, I, I had a, a new book that I, uh, I just did an, a new edition of one of my books. But uh, I have it here. Can I show it on this little yes, screen here? Yes, please. And then I'm my, my latest UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. Uh, the old edition had a bit of a Monty Python look. This is actually a little UFOs more UFOs for the 21st look. Century. This is Richard Dolan's yeah. work. I'm pinning it. So people uh, who would like to search this and buy it or at least check it out, here is the title. And again, it'll be in the description once this finally goes oh, by. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, I wrote a, quite a bit more to this. So it's an updated version of a book that I wrote almost a decade ago. And I uh, just wanted to bring the UFO story up to date to the end of 2022, which I just did. So I was happy about that. Um, but I keep myself busy with all kinds of analysis of the UFO situation. Is there going to be a disclosure in the next year or two or not? We're going to progress. We're going to regress. And uh, I have conversations with people pretty much every day uh about that matter it just never stops i think we're in a really uh you know i think when we were all of us were little i don't think any of us had an idea of just how fast-paced the world was going to become uh it's always been fast but my goodness it's just gone into high gear so uh i'm definitely going to be looking forward to monitoring and commenting on everything that happens in my little area for the coming year that's for sure and your YouTube channel is Richard Dolan. You just searched that, correct? Uh, Richard Dolan Intelligent Disclosure. Yeah. Uh, it's the name of uh, one of my programs. And I do have a website. I have a member's website, richarddolanmembers.com, where I do a lot of work there as well uh, for a really cool community of people. So uh, that is Great. that is what I do, yeah. Okay. You're staying on. You're not getting up that easy. But not I that easily. In, I want to let in Dr. Brian Keating, as well as... One of the runner-ups for the contest, his name is Brad from Sonic Gravity. Hello, Dr. Brian Keating, the legend. The legend is here. And Brad, I've heard so much about you, so you're a legend as well, at least to myself. We're going to stick with Brian Keating's intro first. So Brian, Brian is a, I don't, I don't know how you do it, man. Like, not only if you just read Wikipedia as to your accolades, and your current status. So you're not only a professor, you're a particular kind of professor, the chancellor chair of so-and-so. Like uh, you're going to say it much better than I can. I don't recall it. There's like six adjectives before your name usually. And then you have a podcast. And then not only that, but you put up way more content than myself, which I'm, I'm desirous of. 
and, and you know, yeah, extremely desirous of. You also have kids. You don't just have one kid, which is more than enough. You have five kids. And then I think there's something else you're doing, which I, I, I think you're also working with, or at least you used to work on the Galileo project. And there's probably other projects and you have PhD students and geez, man. Holy moly, like I work like a dog, Brian. I, I work like a dog and probably get like 10% as 50% as at most as much as you. So welcome, Dr. Brian Keaton. I need you so the podcast is Dr. Brian Keaton Podcast into the impossible. Thank you guys. Thank you, Kurt. It's a pleasure, honor to be here. You're one of my early inspirations and my continuing um, I would say you're you were sort of a mentor to me, Kurt. You've done a lot. You've inspired so many millions of people around the world. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to grow a quality audience like you've done and doing so in the in the kind of nooks and crannies, as you mentioned. You know, I have uh, a lot of obligations and responsibilities at the university. And the thing I'm most looking forward to outside of my family and my uh, home life and my friends is to uh, grow and develop the uh, the Simons Observatory, which is the world's highest operating astronomical observatory. It's actually the highest uh, construction project in the world. It's at 5,200 meters above sea level in the Atacama Desert. And I was just there a couple of weeks ago, spent uh, a, about a week there. And it's, it's just paradise for nerds. When you're up there and there's nothing you can do, there's no Wi-Fi, all you could do is work and you've got this massive telescope array of three enormous telescopes. And it's going to be joined by a six meter diameter reflecting telescope, my, my three refracting telescopes. This is, you know, kind of what I dreamed of as a kid. Uh, I just didn't have the $110 million that it takes. So thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt's Patreon, which he funnels to me. No, no, no he doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> I do support Kurt, so I, I, I want to ask you all out there if you can give Kurt a little bit of, of feedback. And the way that humans have done this, since the Phoenicians invented the, the concept of fungibility and coinage and, and money, is to become a patron <laughs> of Kurt J. Mungle, uh, who, <clears throat> who has promised me by, and I have it as proof, he's going to visit me in Southern California, where I am not right now. I'm in an undisclosed subterranean oh, bunker where I'm hoping to go skiing with some of my kids. Uh, but, um, but please support Kurt. So I need, he needs an, a, uh, he needs to make a proper introduction, come and do a live podcast in my new studio at UC San Diego, where I am the chancellor's distinguished professor of physics. And we're going to do a video together and I've already started at least one. doing some. So it's going to be epic in the studio, yeah. in the laboratory. Okay. All right. I will go for eight hours. So I'll record one with you. You record one with me. And by the way, don't just support me. Support Brian. Support Rich. Support Brad, who is about to be introduced. Brad, please Sir. introduce yourself if you don't mind. And I want to just thank you for submitting, not only submitting, but but I want to thank you for producing a quality video. Hey, thanks. I You say quality. I know you, you're defining that to him very loose, loosely because, uh, I mean, I... My tech is really low. Can you guys hear me? It might yeah. sound okay. Yeah, but uh, no, I just want to say, Kurt. Uh, well, I'm a I'm a vet. Uh, I'm a engineer and a lawyer. Um, and when the Navy said that UFOs are real, just my brain started spinning, and I just got really focused on how to how could it possibly happen. And uh, so 
I just started like you do any other engineering project. I said, well, they look massless. What causes mass? It's the Higgs field. At least that's what um, space-time uh, Dr. Matt O'Dowd said. And then I was like, well, how do I get a hold of Higgs field? And he said, had an episode that said the left-handed electron uh, is getting snagged by the Higgs field. So then I said, well, what, how do I grab left-handed electrons? So I created a Faraday disk, created a magnetic field, and I found some research from Dr. Lawrence Eaves at University of Nottingham that said, if you pass it through a hexagonal molecular structure like graphene or bismuth or nickel, um, it teases out left and right-handed electrons. And so then I see that oscilloscope behind me, that platform, that, that scale. So I built that Faraday disk, put that plate on top of it, turned it on, and it got about two pounds lighter. So now I'm trying to... Um, Essentially, you know, if you shake the left-handed electron, the left-hand's holding on to the Higgs field. Of course, I have a non, non-consensus theory that the Higgs field is negative energy density, gravity. And, so and just a moment, Brad, two, oh, because yeah. if people aren't following this, I want to leave a link to your work. So a link will be imminent, and then I'm going to pin it. That's just for people who are wondering what the heck is happening. So please continue. Yeah, so uh, if you can shake 246 gig electron volts, into that left-handed electron that you caught in your in your Faraday disk magnetic field. So you can see behind me, there's the oscilloscope. It's dual channel. It has one polarizing field, and then it has a harmonic one that bounces the field. I run it through a car stereo to jack up the wattage. But, um, but essentially, it shakes the, uh, hopefully, I mean, I'm hoping that what I've hit is a resonant frequency that reduces the Higgs to the ground state and lowers the mass of whatever's inside of it. And then it just kind of, after that sort of, hey, that's what quantum gravity is. And then it just kind of led me down this complete rabbit hole. And I started learning quantum physics and just kind of seeing how everything fits. And I think, and I don't, Dr. Keating, it's just a privilege. Kurt, it's a privilege to be on here. Dr. Nolan, I mean. As someone immersed in the exploration of physics, consciousness, and math, I recognize the importance of supporting my body and my mind. This journey of discovery led me to a remarkable find, Mosh Bars. Mosh is a venture by Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger and is at the forefront of blending nutrition with a mission to foster brain health awareness. With six mouth-watering flavors, there's a taste for just about every palate, even a selection of plant-based options for those preferring vegan nutrition. Personally, I found the chocolate sea salt flavor to be a delightful addition to my day, post-workout especially. In fact, I recorded myself biting into a bar for the first time. Mmm. How's the flavor? Mmm. It's great. That was real. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and your brain at the same time, Mosh Bars are a great choice for you. Head to moshlife.com slash toe to save 20% off plus free shipping on either the best sellers trial pack or the new plant-based trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on either the best sellers or plant-based trial pack at M-O-S-H l-i-f-e dot com slash t-o-e thank you to mosh for sponsoring this video you guys are all great i mean i'm crying right now inside and i screenshotted it so i can like show my family that Uh i was next to famous people but i think space time blows out of black holes which is why the universe expands and the further you look out i'm so pumped to just even be in your guys aura thank you so much um but yeah i just i do it in my free time uh, I have a regular day job and everything, and I only have four kids though, so well, Brad, not quite as engaged. 
Is Dr. Keating. Brad? I, I, so firstly, thank you for your comments about that. That's, that's, that's incredibly kind. And I'm, I'm Richard and Brian, I'm sure we're all like super flattered by that. So, so thank you. And, and I do have to let you go now only out of fairness to everyone else who is the honorable, who is honorably mentioned. I only gave them about, sure. about a couple of minutes. So I'm going to let you go and it'll just thank be you. Brian and Richie. Thank, but thank you. And we'll speak again. Okay. Sure. It was a pleasure. And, for people who are interested, again, I will leave the link right. It'll be in the description. I'll leave the link in the description. I placed it on the on screen several times already. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. I, yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Okay. So. All right. Rich, Brian. Oh, we're still here. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're still here. Better, 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 better still be here. <laughs> So I want to know, <clears throat> Brian, I didn't, don't think I asked you, what do you have, what are you most excited about about 2023? I think this year is going to be a year of transition where we take discoveries and we subject them uh, to really intense scrutiny. I think we're coming out of a dark period for science where science was uh, subjugated at the will of political and media um, imperatives. And I think, you know, thanks to Elon Musk's generosity and, and uh, buying Twitter, I think a lot of that has been liberated. And because of that, I think there'll be a new sort of renaissance. And I, I like in the last three years to sort of a dark age, like you, you almost couldn't have a flourishing of, say, engineering, you know, during the rent, during the dark ages, so so-called dark ages, it turns out they weren't that dark, but let's get into that some other time. Um, you couldn't have like flourishing art and architecture and then like suppression of, of thought and, uh, and, and science and all sorts of things. In other words, concomitant with the overbearing social uh, pressures that came from poli uh, political uh, factions uh, with those being alleviated, uh, that has really uh, stemmed a tide that made me very nervous, very worried. And I say that I've had two conversations in the last month of my podcast, one with actually three, one, one with Professor Charles Seif just last week about nuclear fusion and the claimed, you know, revelation and breakthrough, which kind of showed the governmental, um, you know, hype cycle. I call it the academic media uh, uh, complex, um, industrial complex. I'm going to have a video about that soon. Um, along with things like the quantum computing wormhole, which I have an upcoming video about as well. These are hype things. That's and then you have, you have legitimate scientific discoveries or um, practice of science like the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, that was uh, embroiled in a controversy recently over the name being <clears throat> named after James Webb. And he was accused falsely of being a homophobe. And this actually caused a great deal of of, uh, of pressure on a good friend of mine, past guest Hakim Olashei, who's a very well-known physicist himself, who happens to be black. And he set out a campaign to investigate, did James Webb practice homophobia? Found negative, did not. And yet his life, Hakim's, was turned upside down because of non-scientific reasons, people that just hated this notion that gays and lesbians should be persecuted, which we all should abhor. But at the same token, uh, this, this came about. And then the last thing was Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, uh, one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, who promoted common sense COVID navigation. 
And he was called by the most powerful two people in all of science right now, to the extent that you can identify scientific bureaucrats as being powerful, uh, Francis Collins, director of the NIH, and Tony Fauci, who needs no introduction. Um, he's not coming on. Is he, is he Kurt? Is he coming on live stream? I hope not. So it's in the um, waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to hear the treatment of Jay and how much has changed just in the last few months is really a breath of fresh air. So I'm looking forward to discovers at an epic tweet thread I posted yesterday, predictions for 2023 in science. Also the UFO project. I'm uh, very good friends with the NASA UAP study director. Doesn't give me any special uh, favors. Dr. David Spurgle, who's been a two-time guest on my podcast. Uh, he's leading the NASA study and he's going to do a phenomenal job. When that comes out, he's promised to come on my podcast and reveal, you know, some of the inner workings of, of how they came to their public findings. Dr. Shelley Wright is a colleague at UC San Diego. She studies optical study. Incredibly interesting using looking for laser light pulses from distant civilizations. So I'm looking forward to all that. She's also going to be a guest on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. I like to do, and as you know, you're you're the theory of everything. I almost changed my channel from into the impossible um, to experiments of everything because you, you cover all the theories of everything. Someone's got to do the hands-on instrument building, yeah. hardware, technical deep well, I said we're, we're hodge dual to one another. That's right. Yes, we are. We are. I don't know who's, who's the complex though. Of, of the two of us. So, so Richie, sorry, if I keep calling you Richie, I just mean that in an endearing manner, Richard, what, what are some things that ordinary people can do outside of petitioning their government to facilitate UFO disclosure or to help get some, get less befuddling of the UFO scene and more illumination? Uh, I'll answer that, but I just want to say this is the first time I've heard Brian Keating speak, and uh, I kind of like the uh, political analysis. I agree with Musk and Twitter, um, and pretty much I think everything else you said, Brian. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that NASA UFO UAP study goes. I have a little bit less confidence maybe than you do, but that will be according to uh, what I think it really ought to be, but that's just based on NASA's long, long history of UFO obfuscation and, and actual dishonesty that they've had and uh, a lack of um, really good work done on it. But maybe this will be different, and I'm looking at that uh, uh, carefully and critically as well. As far as your question, Kurt, um, well, I think the, the conversation we're having on UAP or UFOs uh, in our society, it's much, much better than it's been five years ago uh, and long before that, where it was utterly impossible to have a, an adult mature conversation about this subject in uh, the public domain. It was just, it got shut down every time. So it's a little bit better now. We're still at the tiniest of baby steps in terms of really grasping what this phenomenon is about. Uh, we're still at the point where we have scientists saying, gee, I wonder if there's something out there. Is this anomalous and so forth? Um, I've been looking at, I've looked at thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cases, many declassified military cases, not simply from the U.S., but from other nations as well. And uh, there's no question that this is not simply something that's real, but it's a significant high-level national security issue that at times has taken on uh, monumental and ultra-grave proportions uh, more than once. So it's obviously something very serious. It is enmeshed with the intelligence and military communities, uh, primarily of the United States, but also elsewhere. And there's a lot of obfuscation. You know, I did a lot of time looking at the Davis Wilson notes. I was one of the few people initially who really stood by them 
in 2019 and 2020 when a lot of people were still trashing them. I knew that they were legit. I know they are legit. And the implications of what are in those documents is uh, those notes uh, are quite significant. It describes a deeply, deeply clandestine classified special access program, a series of programs that are maybe with the legal fiction of having some government purview, but in a sense, in essence, they really don't have much government oversight in anything meaningful at all. And um, appear, strongly appear, I would say, to have to do with uh, the possession of non-human technology and even bodies. I think all of that is real. The other thing that we need to be talking about is the ongoing, massive, daily presence of these unknown craft over people's neighborhoods every single day. Uh, you can look around. Uh, there are a couple of repositories that accept good UFO cases. They don't all get great investigations, it is true, but when you go through the data, I think it becomes undeniable to a reasonable mind that every single day at two in the morning, three in the morning, there's a craft that might be hovering over your neighborhood at 200 feet. People see these things all the time, and I would like to know who the heck is behind them. What are they doing? What's the mission? Are these aliens or not? I don't think they're black budget. So there's there's a lot of uh, progress that we need to be making on the UFO matter. What can people do? Well, this is a subject with a steep learning curve. Uh, I've learned that. 25 years ago, I thought I'll take uh, two, three months out of my life and get up to speed on it. Right. And uh, that was a long, long time ago. So it takes a long while to become what I would say is genuinely sophisticated in one's understanding of the subject. It's been laughed at for years and decades. And I think, uh, and, I, and I don't know um, you, Brian, so I would never make an assumption, but I do find that many, many highly intelligent people with great education underestimate this subject. And they think that they've got it when in fact they're at the bottom of the mountain. So no, there's, there's a there's long a, way to go. Yeah. yeah. I agree, Richard. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hubris, right? And there's the kind of camp, the Elon Musk camp, that well, we've had great cameras for decades, and they've been improving, and the quality of UFO sightings has got you know it's easy to dismiss. And Elon's a brilliant man. I hope to have him on my podcast at some point. Uh, then there's, well, there's the actually camp, a, an abundance of excellent video and photographic uh, evidence that is out there that just gets ignored. Right. Quite a bit. So a what bit. I what I like to do is think about it as an astronomer. That's what I'm trained as. I do build instrumentation. I like to think of the physics implications. And, you know, for a long time, I simply applied Pascal's wager to this whole problem. If it is real, the penalty for, you know, not believing it is infinite almost, right? We could mm -hmm. lose out on four centuries of physics progress. On the other hand, if it isn't real, quote, whatever that means, I'm not going to debate it right now, but it isn't real and you spend some time on it. First of all, you're learning a tremendous amount, Right. Let's not forget all the things we've learned about um, just from the consideration of the existence of extraterrestrial life. We've learned about uh, material science. We've learned about imaging. We've learned exactly about right. propulsion systems. We've learned, and, and then I'm also a pilot. I fly little planes around here in California. And um, one of the things that's interest of, you know, to me, and I know of interest in NASA outside of the alien issue, is how could these objects be threats? How could they interfere with the safety of of the public. And I think that's actually been downplayed. I mean, Kurt and I hosted Tom DeLong, and people are still talking about that. That's probably my most popular video um, in the last couple of years. And that video, you know, people are making fun of it. Now, on the other hand, I also, I don't shy away from upbraiding, you know, the believers, the so-called, you know, I want to believe type folks. I say, look, I asked Tom this point blank. I said, you claim you have evidence. Let's talk about the evidence. Where is it? How'd you get it? How'd you come to it? 
Can we test it? Can we subject it in my laboratory? Well, we could do some of those things, but you know, we lost track of it. We don't have provenance. We don't. And at a certain point, Richard, you know, you scientifically minded per people and, and like you and me, we would say, look, at a certain point, that evidence doesn't fully rise to, to you know, the point of scientific um, dispositive. In other words, it may be evidence as, as eyewitness evidences. I mean, I don't use eyewitness evidence in cosmology because there were no eyewitnesses to the Big Bang. But uh, I think we have to be, we have to be um, open and not have that hubris that you're speaking about. On the other hand, we can't also say that because I want to believe something that I'm almost going to be as accepting of, of technology and claims and, and, and visitations and sightings and so forth um, and, and kind of not use our scientific training. I, I, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but that's what I, I use my historical training. <laughs> so I'm not a yeah. uh, scientifically trained man. I'm a historian. And so what I've been interested in doing is trying to figure out a historical puzzle, which is why have leading um, directors of the C Central Intelligence Agency, four-star generals, three-star generals uh, of the U.S. and elsewhere, taken this problem so seriously? And why has there been so much obfuscation and secrecy around it? Uh, that's undeniable fact. And and then furthermore, what is what could be the meaning behind the many hundreds, I would say thousands, of declassified military reports that describe rather dramatic encounters with UFOs? So that's the the situation that I'm mm. interested in. I'm, so I'm interested rather in than explaining it scientifically, it's trying to understand it historically and understand yeah. why it was taken seriously by some of the most brilliant, uh, responsible national security people in, in, our, in our lifetime. What do you think, Richard? And along those lines, between... oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to ask Richard and you too. Yeah, I just want to ask Richard and you, Kurt. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is sort of the analog of a Turing test, but for classifying, you know, sightings, encounters, or whatever, and um, and that's very. This is something people can really latch on to, and they can participate on. In fact, before I joined the show, I had to prove that I was a human being, you know, via a recaptcha type system, right? Um, and so, Richard and Kurt, I wonder, you know, could we sort of crowdsource, you know, these things and in, in kind of the the citizen science brigade and, and call for that, in addition to professional scientists like myself actually working on it, Avi Loeb, Gary Nolan, you know, um, et, et cetera, working on this phenomenon, but like have a recapture, you know, how, how can we classify things just at the data level? Is that even possible as a way to engage citizen scientists? There are ways to do this. Absolutely. There are um, projects going on right now, and I wish I could remember the German professor's name who's doing this. I was just chatting about him the other day who has um, a, a proof of concept that he's working on, essentially having uh, cameras to, uh, with, with uh, AI with algorithms to identify uh, conventional objects, but, but to have the cameras dedicated in a portion of the sky so that it would capture, um, increasingly would capture unknown objects. I think, uh, you know, there's all kinds of projects like that which make sense and which are feasible and uh, that could have results. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of smart people out there with all kinds of uh, ideas. You could try to capture objects in other elements of the electromagnetic spectrum, um, whether it's IR or anything else. And uh, that's one thing. And, you know, the real, the real meat and potatoes comes down to whether or not we can actually unlock the secrecy. And I'm a firm believer that there's been a longstanding cover-up conspiracy, you want to call it, um, in which ET tech has been acquired. I, and I, I'll just add, 
I don't know how much more time I have here, but I think that our species, uh, you know, we've, we've existed as homo sapiens for about 300,000 years, last estimate from um, paleoanthropologists. And only in the last generation or so have we been, maybe let's be generous and say the last century, have we really had a truly modern society. You know, up until then, we were just horses pulling wooden carts and not even that. So we're in a place right now that if there's anyone out there who has the ability to watch us, I would be quite sure that they will. They're sure as heck going to want to watch us right now because we're about to leap right into their world. We're on the uh, cusp of very strong AI, um, quantum computing, uh, genetic modification, you know, the whole thing. I mean, we're reinventing our species. We're moving into a new phase of human existence. They're going to want to know that. That, that was uh, the angels were chiming in there. Anyway, so I think I think we're an object of uh, probably we brought the whole neighborhood in to check us out at this particular time. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I want to introduce Matt O'Dowd, who is the host of PBS Space Time, a professor of physics, as well as the launcher or the filmmaker behind Inventing Reality, which is in its fundraising stage about several of the topics that you heard on the Toad channel. That is, what is reality? What is physics? What is physics relationship to consciousness? Matt, thank you. Thank you for coming on again. Kurt, it is a pleasure to be here again. I feel like I'm home. Yeah. Yeah. The first, I think the first podcast I had in this setup was over here and you were speaking to me. So it's, yeah, it's nice to nice to have you back on. I'm not sure if you've ever met Brian or or Richard. Oh, Brian, Brian and I go way back. Hey, Brian, it's good to see you again. Hi, Matt. Happy New Year. You too. So Richard Dolan is a historian and focuses on the the UFO phenomenon. But I'm sure I'm I'm not even giving the proper introduction. So please fill in the gaps, Richard and Matt. I just give the introduction. Matt's a professor of physics who has a wonderful YouTube channel called Space PBS Space Time. Hi, Richard. Good to meet you. Nice. Uh, same here, Matt. What are we talking about? <laughs> Kurt's, uh, Kurt's favorite we're just, we're just hanging out. Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. We're talking about, yeah, we're just talking, about talking about baseball. Yeah. All right, I'll be back. Talking about. So, so, Brian, are you able to stay for a bit longer or you have to get going? Yeah, yeah. I can stay until uh, until I get hit in the head with a nice ice uh, Great, snowball. great. Yeah, Great. a couple more minutes. Yeah. So, Richard, so we're going to start taking some questions from the audience. And, well, we should have been doing that the whole time. There are many questions already, but I'm saying that right now. So, please, because the rest are scrolled far up. I can't find them. One of them that came was, what do you think, Richard? This one's for you, but anyone else you can feel free to riff off of. Richard, what do you think the relationship is between some of these ancient myths, so religious myths, and the phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I've been on the show Ancient Aliens about a million times, but I'm actually not someone who uh, really tries to make a lot of strong connections between uh, our ancient history and uh, ET. I'm I'm a very strong student of ancient history and uh, and prehistory. It's a big interest of mine, uh, and also the origin of uh, of myths <clears throat> in our world. And uh, whereas I do think that there's there's reason to think that we've been monitored uh, by, let's call them others, for a long time. Uh, I think I've characterized it as a fairly low-level thing. I think it's totally different than what we're dealing with now in the in the 20th and 21st centuries. 
So I, um, I don't know if we really have enough information to to make any of these connections. I think when people talked about people like Zechariah Sitchin, I think that was way, way just off base, not a, not really a supporter of his work. Uh, and I and I, I'm very hesitant. <laughs> I guess I'll just say, to make strong connections about that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but um, I'm I don't think I'm on board for, with most of it. Matt, have you have you been asked publicly about your opinions on the UFO phenomenon? Not publicly, um, or not not publicly loudly. Um, I'm sure there have been some YouTube comments, but uh, are you are you saying that because you're about to ask me or preparing so, me? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, so. You know those um, those fighter pilots are extremely highly trained, uh, rational human beings. Um, and, and, and they saw some shit and, and we don't know what it is. And it, it, you know, it, apparently the air force doesn't know what it is. Oh. Uh, so I think, I think it, I think they, are verified flying objects that have not been identified. So, um, so the question is, what are they? Uh, my gut instinct is to hypothesize aliens last. But that is because, really because I, I want it to be aliens, and, but I don't want to fool myself. We're the exact opposite. I don't want it to be aliens, but I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you want it to be aliens? Uh, I'm not really too crazy about the idea of aliens being here. Um, not really in love with the idea, but uh, I actually do think that that's what we're dealing with. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I look at the long uh, history of the modern UFO phenomenon, um, you know, everything that we know about from the, the so-called Tic Tac UFO incident of 2004 or the USS Roosevelt 2014, 2015, and all of these cases, and then the, the leaks through Jeremy Corbell in 2019-2020, that's all recent, but those types of events have gone on they were going on in the 90s and in the 80s and in the 70s and 60s and 50s and the 40s. 1940s, we have uh, documents, military declassified, showing these objects, or at least having been tracked at 9,000 miles per hour. What what the heck is that supposed to be? At high altitude, 100,000 feet altitude. Um, you know, they had theodolites that were very, very good at measuring uh, speed and distance and azimuth and so forth. And um, I trust their ability to know what they were doing. So they came up with data that is not easily comprehensible unless there was a very, very clandestine science project that no one has known about here. Um, that's That's got a global presence and has had one since before the turn of the middle of the 20th century. I don't know what else it could be. And in fact, when you look at, uh, you know, the few classified studies that we have access to, or at least moderate access to, um, within the U.S. military, you find there's always factions that were convinced that this was an extraterrestrial or, as they would say, interplanetary phenomenon. That was always a very significant group of people. Um, and how deep does it go is a real question. So, no, I think it's actually quite, I mean, I think about Occam's razor quite a bit. And I
As someone immersed in the exploration of physics, consciousness, and math, I recognize the importance of supporting my body and my mind. This journey of discovery led me to a remarkable find, Mosh Bars. Mosh is a venture by Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger and is at the forefront of blending nutrition with a mission to foster brain health awareness. With six mouth-watering flavors, there's a taste for just about every palate, even a selection of plant-based options for those preferring vegan nutrition. Personally, I found the chocolate sea salt flavor to be a delightful addition to my day, post-workout especially. In fact, I recorded myself biting into a bar for the first time. Mmm. How's the flavor? Mmm. It's great. That was real. If you want to find ways to give back to others and fuel your body and your brain at the same time, Mosh Bars are a great choice for you. Head to moshlife.com slash toe to save 20% off plus free shipping on either the Best Sellers Trial Pack or the new plant-based trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on either the Best Sellers or plant-based trial pack at M-O-S-H. L-I-F-E dot com slash T-O-E. Thank you to Mosh for sponsoring this video. I think that the ET hypothesis is probably, to me, it makes the most sense. It makes more sense than anything else that I can imagine. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I admit I haven't done my due diligence. Um, I've watched a few. Matt, can you speak a bit louder? Closer oh, yeah, to sorry. I, I haven't done sorry. my due diligence on this particular topic. Um, um uh there there is however a great uh video by joe scott so i don't know if you guys know joe scott he has a uh science physics youtube channel also and he did a uh what i thought sounded like a compelling dissection of the ufo report um and i got the sense that it was plausible that it was a a, a light phenomenon as opposed to being actual physical matter traveling at that speed. Um, but <clears throat> like I said, I, you know, you've clearly uh, read and researched far more than I have. So I don't want to pretend like I know, um, but I would, I would recommend that video and be curious. To... Which report was he commenting on? This is a year ago. Uh, no, the, the most recent uh, UAP yeah. task force report. Exactly. I imagine. So a question that I get asked plenty, and I'm curious to know, Matt, Brian, and also Richard, your response to is, how can one scientifically test this phenomenon, given that it's unrepeatable? So what would be the best way? One way is to just well, reject the premise and say, no, it is repeatable, and then here's some way. But, well, what would, Brian? Yeah, well, I, I yeah, just uh, I did did ask Avi Loeb this very question multiple times, and I've never gotten a satisfactory answer. So he claims that Oumuamua, of course, uh, interstellar uh, object <clears throat> uh, prepared by extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, some star system that we can't uh, you know reconcile with uh, because of the difficulty in orbital mechanics and reconstructing it. We just do know that its velocity is consistent with origin or coming from an extrasolar location. So I said, Avi, look, you know, if I had access to a billionaire the way that you have access to a billionaire, instead of slingshotting, you know, a bunch of iPhone cameras to Proxima Centauri B, I would uh, actually redirect them and, and send all my energy to go after Oumuamua. 
uh, because he he's convinced that you know over ninety percent, which for Abi he's actually going through the math. He's actually ah ninety percent chance. Mm-hmm. You know I flipped it a dozen coins and you know no, no. he he really has gone through the math and, and scribes a very high, much greater than even odds to this object's extraterrestrial origin. And um, and I said, well, why don't you convince um, uh, you know Yuri Milner to give you uh, you know ten million dollars to immediately go after Oumuamua while it's still in the heliotrope, you know, pause and, and it's still, you know, within our solar system's, you know, nearest boundaries. And it's not so far out as going to four light years away as it would be for Project Starshot. I said, no, 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 no. And his uh, characteristic, uh, you know, uh, chastising voice said, no, with Vera Rubin, we're going to discover Vera Rubin Observatory, which is the largest kind of, it used to be called the LSST, large uh, synaptic survey telescope in Chile. It's a eight meter class telescope and uh, we'll be using parts of its uh, data and they'll be using some of our data from the Simons Observatory down in Chile as well to look for planet nine, which is a totally other side project of ours on the Simons Observatory in addition to looking for inflationary gravitational waves. Anyway, he said, no, we're going to be basically filthy. The sky is going to be, you know, blotted out by how many discoveries of these extrasolar objects we can make. But I said, do you still, do you have a plan? Do you have confidence? This thing is, could not be repeatable as you said, Kurt. Why not take your chance? I mean, the number of like supernovae's, we're, we're overdue for about four supernovae, right, Matt? I mean, in our galaxy, we should have had about, you know, a supernova per century. Last major one was in, you know, 1594, you know, uh, Kepler observed it. So fortunately um, they don't so, stack up. Yes, that's and right. Sorry, what are you saying, Matt? Unfortunately, Fortunately, they, don't. they don't stack up. I don't know. Do I need to adjust my audio? No, no, no. What do you mean that they don't just come? Oh, right I mean, yeah, one if you're over something wrong, no, they don't. They don't line up and and all go at once if they're late. I see. <laughs> okay. So, so in other words, you know, don't don't you know wait for the next one to come around because your math predicts that it should go after the one the bird in the hand and. He's been kind of dismissive of that. I, I, I sort of would, would say, no, if this is not repeatable, we have to make every effort to actually confirm this object is, is real. Um, and, uh, you know, so he and I have a friendly debate about that. But, yeah, it is true. A lot of these things are one-off events. Uh, on the other hand, if you look back to, like, what was aviation like in 1922, so 100 years ago, 1923, 100 years ago, um, you couldn't really get on an airplane and get, you know, stuck by Southwest. I mean, you could you could get on an airplane if you had a lot of money and a barnstormer happened to come by your neighborhood uh, airfield and just pick you up and take you up for five minutes for a wing walk. Um, and, and nowadays, of course, it's incredibly common unless you're on Southwest, as I said. Uh, but the the fact is, uh, we're if, if we're in this, you know, nascence of a technology as perhaps Richard is is hinting at, you know, that it's going to be this explosion. You know, I would ask the kind of Nancy Kerrigan question, you know, why now? What, you know, why, why us, you know, why here? And it's not really clear um, as the, uh, you know, as the technological, you know, blueprint of us going forward, I do believe we'll be visiting Mars, you know, in the future. And it's not so far fetched to do that because we are in that barnstorming phase of space flight. So in a hundred years from now, um, you know, when Kurt's great grandchildren are hosting, hosting, you know, theory of everything, you know, the, the second generation, third generation, then they'll be talking about it. But would it be possible that there's a there's a there's a you know mass evolution and mass 
um, sightings and, and actual encounters? And why would that be happening now as opposed to 400 years ago or 1,000 years from now? And I know I've heard some of the arguments for it, but curious what Matt would say. Matt. So to answer the first question, what do we do for a non-repeatable event that is, how do we test for it? I mean, it, you know, if the stories about UFOs coming regularly are true, then it's a repeatable event. We just don't know when. And presumably these things are made of some kind of matter. So we might build uh, various detectors, radar-like things, and put them across the planet to detect objects made of matter flying around. And, and indeed, we have that across the globe. Um, we have uh, objects built to detect, you know, ICBMs um, traveling between the continents. Uh, so, the, the, I mean, we, we have the technology to detect these things. And, and so this is why I think it's, you know, in order for us to say we haven't detected them, it, it requires some kind of very high level and very, very consistent conspiracy and a, a, a conspiracy of a consistency that I, I don't think our governments have shown the competence to be able to sustain, you know, across, you know, multiple election cycles, um, you know, and across multiple nations. Um, so then if these things aren't detectable by our current technology, I mean, they, they clear, they're clearly detectable from their light because they're seen. Uh, so they're at least detectable that way. Perhaps they, they, they hide from radio. So, you know, we could scan the sky um, more thoroughly than we are. But I feel like um, I feel like you have to look a little bit about, at the pattern of, of when these things are detected and who by. And you can do a numbers game. You know, if these things are detected with this frequency by Air Force pilots and by, um, you know, Midwesterners and, and whoever sees them more frequently, then it, it's not hard to extrapolate to estimate how often, you know, the average person would see a UFO. And you can ask whether that happens. You can ask whether their, um, their sightings are somehow correlated in a way that points you to some other potential uh, origin for these sightings. Um, <clears throat> as for... <laughs> Things like Oumuamua. Um, I, I, not only do I not think Oumuamua was technology, uh, I, I think it's impossible for it to have been technology based on the very numbers that Arby Loeb has crunched. Uh, I, I did the calculation. I can't remember what it was, but but I think the... I think Arby's statement was that, okay, so this thing is tumbling. It must be a defunct probe that is that is now tumbling because it's lost its power or whatever. Um, <clears throat> therefore, it's not guided. And if it's not guided, then you can estimate the abundance of defunct probes in interstellar space in order for one of them to have fallen into our solar system. And the number you get is insane in, in that you would need, you know, more uh, defunct interstellar probes than there are uh, ordinary rocks floating between the stars. And and so, you know, I think, uh, although Avi is a, a brilliant scientist, I, I think um, 
he may be expressing more confidence in his belief in this than he actually mm -hmm. has. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, Richard, I, Richard, I, you're patiently waiting. So please, what, what's your answer to this question? And then also, Tyler, Nicolaj, and Sorensen, I know that you're waiting so patiently in the waiting room. I'm going <laughs> to let you in. I'll be quick then. Speaking as the non-scientist here, um, I don't really have a qualified scientific uh, well, assessment have, of this, but I have I, more I would, knowledge than all of us put together on this topic. Uh, what I what I would say is what we need is is reliable data capture. So uh, the, the idea that I was expressing earlier, by I wish I could recall this particular German scientist's name, but there's just a number of these types of ideas of of uh, of capturing data and then studying it. Um, now. Yeah, I remember speaking with Christopher Mellon about this, who wrote a, a very good piece about uh, less than a year ago, calling out the United States Air Force for its absolute uh, opaqueness reg regarding the data that he, he said he knows that it has relating to this subject and was referencing uh, a large number of U.S. Uh, satellite systems that he said they, these are perfectly designed for capturing anomalous data. And he says, and I'm Absolutely certain they've done that, but we don't have access to that information. So I think, you know, it's it's not repeatable as a phenomenon. We've known this for a long time. I mean, the problem with science, correct me, guys, if I'm wrong here, but, you know, when you're doing science, you, you the scientists, are assuming that you're in charge of the experiment. Uh, but if there's an intelligence that's beyond your own, uh, it might be very difficult to do that. You might be dealing with an intelligence that doesn't want to play the, the same game that you want to play and might make it difficult if that is the case. If we're not at the top of the, the intellectual food chain here in our analysis of something, what is the likelihood that a scientist is going to be able to get, you know, it's one thing if you're studying a virus in a, in a microscope, that, that'll behave more or less the way you expect it to. But I don't know if highly intelligent, presumably extremely advanced aliens are gonna play by our rules. So I don't know if that causes a problem in terms of scientific analysis, but I do think data capture and historical analysis are always going to be important. Um, my field is, my study is that of history. I know that very well. And, and the only thing that I can say pretty confidently is that the major governments and national security establishments around this world have engaged with this phenomenon and have been utterly befuddled by it or worse, really concerned all right, you just watched a clip from an eight-hour live stream behemoth Leviathan podcast from Theories of Everything, which is a channel where we explore physics, mathematics, and consciousness. What is a theory of everything? How do you merge quantum field theory with general relativity? Click here or in the description for the full podcast where there are several people make appearances all the way from George Knapp to Jeremy Corbell to Gary Nolan to Avi Loeb to John Verveke to Donald Hoffman to Michael Levin to Ian McGilchrist and 40 more all in one eight hour long podcast links in the description.